Alright, we are in 1 Samuel, chapter 9, 1 Samuel, chapter 9, and last time we had covered pretty much through, through verse 21 or so, and look down in verse 22 of, of chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited, who were about 30 men. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion that I gave you concerning which I said to you, set it aside. Then the cook took the leg with what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here is what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat because it has been kept for you until the appointed time, since I said I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. And they arose early at daybreak. Samuel called to Saul on the roof, saying, Get up, that I may send you away. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going out, To the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Say to the servant that he may go ahead of us and pass on, but you remain standing now that I may proclaim the word of God to you. So what happened was, Samuel sent Saul up to the feast. Saul goes up to the feast and Samuel puts he and his servant at the head of the table, which is really quite unusual for a young man like this and for a servant to be brought up to the head of the table. And he had a particular piece of meat reserved for, uh, reserved for um, Saul, and that was the leg. And so we know it had to be the left leg, because the right leg was exclusively reserved for the priest. And uh, uh, that, that, was, that was his portion. So the left leg was, was given then to Saul. Now let's pick up in, in chapter 10 and see what Samuel says. To Saul, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on his head, kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there three men, going up to God at Bethel, will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, and flute and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them, being changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for, yourselves with the, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, 
And behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Then it happened when he turned back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart and all those signs came about on that day. So Samuel gets very specific with King Saul, with Saul who's about to become king. He says, this and this and this is exactly what is going to happen to you. He said, so he, he anoints him with oil in chapter 10, verse 1. In chapter 9, he, he sent, the, he sent the, the servant ahead. He wanted to talk privately with Saul. So this is a private conversation between Samuel and Saul. He anoints him. And then he says, when you go from me today, and he starts mapping out everything that is going to happen to Saul. Everything that's going to happen, he maps out. He says, you're going to go from me today and two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin in Zelah. It's interesting. If you go to Israel today, uh, uh, often you will be shown sites where those are not the real sites. And you have to go to someone who really is a, a biblical scholar to see the real sites that are, often aren't as pretty as, as some of the presumed, uh, as some of the, the newer sites. I'll give you an example. The garden tomb, where they say the tomb of Jesus is, that's probably not the real garden tomb. Uh, it's probably, and probably better defined, right at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is not nearly as nice of an environment. But they have a really nice environment for, for that, and that's the garden tomb. Here, if you, look at, at, if you go to Israel, to Rachel's tomb, that's, that's somewhere between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. But here it clearly says it's in the territory of Benjamin. So uh, uh, Rachel's tomb is not where most tour guides will, will take you. Nevertheless, he says you're going to go there and somebody is going to come to you and say the donkeys which you're looking for have been found. Now this is a reiteration of what Samuel had already told Saul, that the donkeys have been found. Back in verse 20 of chapter 9 it says, As for the donkeys which were lost three days ago... Do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. So, he he said, it's just going to underscore what I told you, so you can relax concerning the donkeys. He says, but but, uh, uh, then they're going to say, your father has become anxious for you. And that's exactly what Saul in the former chapter had said. If we don't get back home, my father's going to start getting anxious for us. And then it says, then you're going to go on further at the yoke of Tabor... You're going to meet three men. These three men, the first one is going to be carrying three young goats. Another is going to be carrying three loaves of bread and another a jug of wine. What are the chances of this happening this way? And so what we see, God speaking specifically to Saul through Samuel. Specific word of what is going to happen to him. In a way that, that Saul could have no question, well, maybe it was just coincidence. No, there can be no coincidence on this. And it says, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread. So of the three they're carrying, two loaves of bread they're going to give to you. And you're to accept that from their hand. And then you're going to go up to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And... Uh, uh, And then when you come there, you're going to meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, 
tambourine and flute and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. And then the Spirit of God is going to come upon you mightily. And then it says in verse 9, And all those signs came about on that day. So he gave real specificity as what was going to happen. So God can speak really specifically if and when he wants to. He can do that. So what I want to think about today is how does God speak? If you have never thought about that, you should have. How does God speak to us? In what manner does God address his people? Well, I'll give you a few examples. Because he, he speaks in different ways to different people and on different instances. And he's done this throughout history. He's, done, he, he's spoken in, in different ways. And I just you know, was jotting down a few that I could think of when I was preparing for this. It says that he, he, spoke, he spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's the way God spoke to Moses. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Abraham through angels and through a divine visitation of the Lord himself to Abraham. He spoke to him. He also spoke to Abraham in other ways. It's a voice from heaven. He spoke to Job through his suffering. He spoke to Job through suffering. God speaks to us through suffering. He spoke to Hosea through a horrific marriage. Through the things that his wife did and the prostitution that she participated in, he spoke to Hosea saying, this is what the children of Israel have done to me. Like a wife who goes into prostitution, this is what they have done to me. And I want you to bring your wife back as I have done to Israel. So he spoke through circumstances. He spoke to Isaiah through an amazing vision in the temple. He spoke to Mary through an angel. Remember, uh, uh, an angel appears to Mary and tells her the things that are going to happen to her. But he speaks to Joseph in a dream, saying, don't divorce her. So he speaks in a dream. He spoke to Israel through the casting of lots. And that's from Proverbs chapter 16. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So in the Old Testament, again and again, they used lots. They would cast lots. And it says this is exactly what they were supposed to do. And we'll see later on in, in, in uh, chapter 10 where lots were chosen. And by lot, it was chosen Benjamin and then the family of Kish and then, king, and then Saul to be king. It was chosen by lot. God spoke to Israel through the Urim and the Thummim. Those were the lights that the priests wore on, it, on the breastplate. And that could only be a yes and, or no answer you could get a, a, a series of, of light patterns and it just defined yes or no. So you would ask very specific questions. You see David calling the priest and asking very specific questions. Will I do this? Will I, should I do this? And you get a yes and a no answer. He, he spoke to, to, uh, uh, to the early church through the casting of lots, through the choosing of Matthias. But once the Holy Spirit came, you never see the use of lots again, casting of lots again. Not that, that it couldn't be done, but you never see it used again after, after the Holy Spirit fell. But it was used in the New Testament in the early church. <clears throat> he spoke to Paul, and he spoke several ways to Paul in, in the New Testament. In, in Acts chapter 9, Paul was knocked to the ground 
and a bright light shone, and there was a rumbling in heaven. Everybody else heard it as a rumbling in heaven, but Paul heard it as a distinct word from God, saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? God used a rumbling in heaven that Paul could discern as an exact word. He, he, uh, uh, he spoke to Paul via Ananias, again in Acts chapter 9. So he sent a believer to Paul and he said, I've been sent here to open your eyes. So he spoke through Ananias. Through another believer, he then spoke to Paul. Then you say, okay, well, he spoke to Paul now through another believer. How else did he speak to Paul? He spoke to Paul in a vision. In a vision in Acts chapter 16, it says that, that uh, uh, Paul had a vision of a man saying, come here to Macedonia and help us. And in that vision... He then took that as an indication from the Lord that he should go to Macedonia because of this vision of a man that he had. He spoke again in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. He spoke again to Paul in a vision. He spoke to Paul in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. He spoke to him saying, it is forbidden for you to go into this part. It says that the Holy Spirit forbade us to go into that part of the countryside and preach. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, Paul says, The Lord stood at my side and said, You have solemnly testified of me in Jerusalem. You shall now testify of me in Rome also. The Lord, standing at his side, talked to Paul and encouraged Paul in that way. Uh, There's... Other cases, there's cases of prophets speaking in the New Testament. Because some people say, well, you know, prophecy, that's not real anymore. Well, it was certainly quite real in the New Testament as well as it was in the Old Testament. Look in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 21, I'm sorry, Acts chapter uh, 11, Acts chapter 11, you'll see another way where, where um, a message came from the Lord via a prophet in Acts chapter 11. Verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. So there was a prophecy by a man named Agabus that there would be a great famine. There would be a great famine all over the world. And then we again have an indication that this was written, this portion in the book of Acts was written after the event because now the author is telling us, and this took place in the reign of Claudius, substantiating that what that man Agabus prophesied came to pass. We see, we see Agabus again in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, the same prophet, Agabus, so he has now a good reputation, I mean it's... What he talks about comes true. Acts chapter 21, um, verse 10. And we were staying there for some days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, 
we, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul said, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. So you see, this same prophet Agabus bound himself with Paul's belt, and he said, Whoever owns this belt is going to be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. And on that basis, many people were telling Paul not to go. And Paul said, no. I mean, the prophecy, the word from the Lord isn't that I should not go. It's just telling me that I'm going to be bound. I'm prepared to die. So God speaks through prophets. God did that in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 21, verse 9, it says, Now there was a, the man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. So this is Philip the Evangelist, Philip the Evangelist that we had seen back in, in around Acts chapter 8. We now pick him up again here in Acts chapter 21. He has a family. He has four daughters now. This is probably 20 years later. He has four daughters. He says they were all virgins and they were prophetesses. So God clearly had prophets and prophetesses in the New Testament. So we see that God speaks in many different ways. God speaks in words and visions. He spoke to Elijah. It says that, that, that Elijah, God came and spoke to him and there was this earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. There was this great fire. There wasn't, he wasn't in the fire. <clears throat> there was this, this uh, uh, powerful rushing winds. He wasn't there. But in the still, small breeze, God was there. God spoke to him through a still, small breeze. So God does speak. But I will tell you, the most difficult thing for me is trying to hear what God has to say clearly in my life. The direction that He has for me. God speaks. God speaks to us. But there are certain things that are clear in the Word that we know we are to do. And if God is ever instructing you to do something contrary to what's written in this Word... It's not God that's instructing you to do that. Maybe it's Satan. Maybe it's our own minds. Because our own minds really have the ability to speak to us. Right? It has the ability to speak to us. And sometimes, especially for the believers, we can feel that that's God through the Holy Spirit speaking to me. It might be. It might not be. Because discerning what God wants for us is not always easy. As we had spoken about last time, sometimes He leads us through circumstances. God is quite able to speak a very precise word, but He doesn't always. When I went off to, to graduate school, and in fact, before I, the summer before I, I left for graduate school, I was praying all summer that God would lead me into the right church that he was going to have for me once I, I moved to graduate school. Because it was very important to me. Because I knew that this is, this is for me, you know, the life of the body of Christ. And I wanted to be in, in, in the right church. And I was praying all summer. And when I, when I got to... Um, I remember reading, I, I got a copy of the school newspaper that summer. They sent it to the new graduate students coming in in the middle of the summer. And I remember looking through the paper and I saw the different ads. And there was an ad in the paper and, and, uh, uh, for a church called the Upper Room Christian Fellowship. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll visit that sometime when I go. And I totally put it out of my mind, though. Then when I got to, uh, 
When I got to graduate school, I was returning the rent. I got in on a Saturday night. I was returning the rental car uh, to the airport on, on Sunday morning. And Sunday morning, I was walking back from the airport. There was a local airport right, right by campus. And I was walking back to the graduate dorm thinking, well, I'll stop in at some church along the way. And I stopped in at a, at a Christian center, and I went in there, and I could just tell by the way the people were treating me and one another, this was not the place for me. So I, I went out, and I started walking down, down the way, and I walked in this, I saw this other church, and I walked in there, and they had this beautiful music and wonderful people and, and praying and, and just, you know, the people were really quite wonderful, but things were a little bit different. And I'll tell you how things were different. It turned out to be a charismatic church. And I didn't know what a charismatic church was. I didn't know that I was supposed to be excited or not excited about a charismatic church. I just never heard about it. The first church that I had ever been in as a believer was the church that, that I stayed in through, through undergraduate school. And it was not a charismatic church. It was more of a Bible church. They never said anything good or bad or indifferent about charismatic so when you walk into a charismatic church, and one thing you notice in charismatic churches is the music is usually much, much better than in Bible churches. I don't know why that is. It just usually is the case. And you know, people really sing rather than just kind of mumble. And, and uh, uh, so I thought, wow, this, this is really amazing music. I've never heard music like this before. And then the, the, next, the next week, I was... Um, praying that morning, that Sunday morning in my room, and I had no real indication of where I should go. And I, I was on my knees and I was saying, Lord, if you don't speak to me some clear word today that I'm to go back to that same church, I'm going to go to another one after today, unless you speak to me clearly today. Then I started picking up the scriptures and I started reading where I had left off the day before. And it said, Jesus said, Jesus says, disciples said to him, where shall we have the Passover feast? Jesus said, go, and a man will show you an upper room, and there you shall have the Passover feast. He said, oh, upper room, that's an interesting name. That's the name of the place that I visited last Sunday. It was called Upper Room Christian Fellowship. It was the same thing that I had read in the paper, that I had put out of my, my memory. And I, all of a sudden, all this came, and this peace of God just filled the room, confirming it's not that any word you read is for what we should be doing that day, because you can flip through here and find, and Judas went out promptly and hung himself. You know, so it's not just that you read any word and that's the word for you. But I was praying specifically for a word, and it came the exact word. Well, that was very important to have happened. Because I learned so much in that church in the four and a half years that I was there. And then at my, the, the second year of graduate, so after my first year of graduate school, we got married, Shereen came out, and, and we just really enjoyed that place. But what had happened was four or five months after being in that church, I went back to, to visit Shireen and the church in, in Syracuse, New York. And the pastor started talking to me, and I told him, you know, the church that I was in, he said, describe to me that church. And then I started describing it, and he says, that's a charismatic church, right? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And he started, you know, telling me his cautions about the charismatic expression. And then I explained to him why I go to that church, 
what God had shared with me that morning in my room and the verse that I had read. This is exactly the way this man, this pastor, had discipled me to hear from God. And when I said I read exactly this verse, and when I read this verse, the peace of God filled the room. This is exactly the way he had taught me. When God speaks to you through the Scriptures to confirm his word, you will find his peace confirming it as well. When I described that to him, I said in deference and in submission to you, I'll go to another church. He says, no, you better continue to go to that church. Obviously, that's where God wants you. And so, he knew that that is the way God speaks. Sometimes God speaks a precise word. Not always. Sometimes he speaks to us through some scripture that just defines a situation that we are in. When, when I was in graduate school, Shireen started, and, and I've, I've shared this on my website before, so maybe you've read it, but I, Shireen used to, used to put makeup on and all of this, and I, I wasn't always as, as, as wonderful in understanding as I am now. So, and, and, so, young ladies, you have to remember that if you get married and your husband is not perfect, give him time, and he'll move toward perfection, okay? He'll, he'll get better. But I was thinking, you know, you don't need makeup, and because in First Timothy it says that you know, you know it's not putting on makeup and the adorning of clothes and the braiding of hair that's important. It's 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 the inner person. And so I used to preach this to her, and you know, Shireen doesn't spend much on anything, but makeup she really likes, and it's it's. And I've learned you just back off when women like makeup. Just don't even go near that. So. Young men, I'm sparing you some trouble. Just, just stay away from that. But I started praying about this, and then she went and she bought Mary Kay Cosmetics a set to start selling. Started, wanted, wanted to sell Mary Kay Cosmetics. And, you know, this really started bothering me, and I was praying about this every day, praying about this. And then one day I was reading, and I picked up reading where I had left off the night before, and, it's, and I was asking God to deal with her on this. And it says... In, in Proverbs 27, verse 9, it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And it was as if God was just speaking to me. Leave her alone. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And I had this total release. And I remember her, she was coming out of the bedroom that morning, and I had said, I said, look at this verse I read. I said, I am never going to bother you about makeup again. She looked at me. She said, you are so moody. You know, you change back and forth all the time. She said, every time you read another verse, you get some different theology. You know, this is, this is what I am. So, and then, you know, Shireen could never sell anything. She gave away everything in this kit anyway. She just gave it away, and so she was out of the Mary Kay selling business. But it's never been an issue again. God speaks. He speaks specific words. Sometimes he speaks to us through a concept. Sometimes he will take a verse that you're memorizing, that you're learning, and he will use that verse to speak to you in the situation that you're in. God speaks in various ways. He has the ability to speak a precise word. Go, and a man will show you an upper room, and there you shall have the Passover feast. 
he is able to speak with that degree of specificity. And in fact, in that portion in the Gospel, he spoke very specifically. He said, go, you will see a man. He will do this. He will take you. He will lead you. He, and, they, you know, how should we get the room? Say, the, the Master has need of a room for the Passover. A man will show you an upper room and give it to you. I mean, come on. I mean, how does that happen? In that particular instance in the New Testament, Jesus gave very specific word as to what would happen. Many other instances, he sent them out two by two, and he just sent them out. No specific word of what was going to happen other than the fact that, you know, on another occasion he, send you out, he says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Oh, great. <laughs> That's descriptive. <laughs> but nothing specific as to what's going to happen. Generally, he doesn't give us specificity in the details of life. You will meet believers, or maybe you've been there, or maybe you're there, who say, you know, God told me to do this, God told me to do this, God told me to do this, God told me to do this. You're probably wrong. And the reason I say you're probably wrong, because God, in His Word, doesn't do that often. He does it, but not often. And generally, when people say that to me, I'll track them. And then the next day, they'll tell me. And they'll say, but last week, you said God told you to do this, this, and this. And now you're saying He's telling you to do this, this, and this. Has God changed His mind? Because the Bible says, uh, uh, God is not a man that He should change His mind. And so you see what happens is we have a tendency, and especially as believers, I do this too, okay? We have a tendency to think God is telling us something. Better not to voice it and to say, God's telling me this, this, and this, and this. Because you may be proven to be wrong. You can say to yourself, God, is this you? If it's you, confirm it. If it's you, confirm it. But don't go blabbing that out all the time, and especially for someone else's life. God told me that you're to do this. Unless you're absolutely sure. There is another role of learning to submit. It says, young men, be submissive to the elders. This is an important thing. When I wanted to, you know, the Lord was just, I don't know. Shireen was on my heart all the time. And I didn't know if it was the Lord or Jim Tour. Because Jim Tour has the ability to put a young woman on his heart. Alright? That is inherent within me. I'm able to do that. And especially when I was 20 years old. And this was happening to me all the time, and I didn't know. And I submitted this to the leadership of the church. And the leadership talked with us, talked with their family. And I said, if we're not all in agreement after six months, because the pastor said, let's just pray for six months about this. Because I knew if I was going to get engaged, that was a binding thing. We weren't going to date and all this other kind of stuff unless it was going to be leading to a marriage. And, and that was a position that I chose, that Shireen chose. And after six months, everybody was in agreement except the associate pastor, who was a good friend of mine. And I said, okay, I won't marry. And the pastor said, well, there's discord here. Either he's hearing or we're hearing. And he said, let's pray another six months. And we prayed another six months. And after that second six months, the associate pastor gave me his blessing. And we got engaged, and boom, right after that, I had to leave for graduate school. 
But I have never, because we had confirmation from families, we had confirmation from all the leadership in the church, we had submitted it to them, because Jim Tour has the ability to have hormones control his judgment, especially on this sort of thing. This happens to young people where hormones can control your judgment. Because sometimes you see young people, I don't know what this person sees in this other person. It's hormonal control. It happens all the time. I have never doubted, even though we've, we've gone through our troubles, I have never doubted that Shireen is the wife for me. I have never doubted that I married the right person. You talk to many young people, they will doubt. They will say, you know, yeah, I had real doubts. I don't know, I think I may have married the wrong person. This happens all the time to people. I never had doubts about that. I've had people come to me and they say, you know, we want to do that. You, you know, we were thinking of moving in that direction. And, and I have no word from the Lord. All I do is I analyze, I say, do you know the Lord? And I, I, I try to understand if the two parties know the Lord. And how deeply do they know the Lord? Are they committed in some, in, 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 in some sort of depth here? And one day a guy was telling me about this wonderful girl, and he was, you know, he was okay, but he could go either way. I mean, he's kind of drifted around and got involved, didn't get involved in things of the faith. And then he's he, telling me about this girl, and then he finally brings this girl for me to meet, and she was wonderful. I mean, she was miles ahead of him in her understanding of the Scripture and the faith. And I thought, you know, and I told him, I said, she's wonderful, but she is way ahead of you. And I didn't think it was going to last, and it didn't, because she perceived that this guy was way behind her. And, and so, you know, all I want to do is discern where people are in their faith. And that's all I can do is say, you know, scripturally, you want to be bound together in a common faith. And I can give you that. When I have had jobs, you know, I've always submitted this to my father, because he has a really good business sense. And even when I got the offer from Rice, I mean, I called and I told him... And, you know, he's not even a Christian, but I submit to my father in this. He has great judgment. I told him about this offer from Rice, and he made it clear. He said, Jim, you'd be an idiot not to accept that offer. I mean, it's very clear. I went to call my pastor to ask him his advice. I called him on the phone and told him. He says, you wouldn't believe this. I was just walking over to get this phone, and God spoke to my heart that it's Jim Tour is calling you, and he's going to be telling you that he's moving out of the city, and he's, he's going to be leaving. And that's exactly what was my conversation. And so I got that confirming word from him. I submitted it to Shireen's father. And Shireen's father, you know, prayed about it for a while. He says, he says I, I have no direct word, but I have no hesitations either. So learning to submit our lives to one another gives us a sense on how God speaks. He speaks in different ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause these young people to walk in submission to you and to your word and to your instruction. In the name of Jesus. Amen.